This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. It appears that we are starting to get into the heart of the presidential race right now, and that means what the candidates say will be focused on even closer. And you can expect that social media is going to play an important role in that process. Twitter has become the favorite outlet for President Trump until the recent tagging of some of his posts, which questioned the statements he was making. Back in the 2016 election, uh, the content popping up on social media was a great concern and is expected to be a concern going into this November's election, especially since we are all connected through the use of the Internet. Duncan Watts is a professor of operations, information, and decisions at the Wharton School, as well as a professor of computer and information science at the University of Pennsylvania, and he has studied networks closely and some of the impact that uh, some of this fake reporting, fake news uh, could potentially have. Duncan, great to have you with us today. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So I, I guess the, the Twitter example is probably the most uh, recent one that we've talked about. But how much of a concern do you potentially have going into this election cycle of all of this different content uh, and, and potentially a lot of it being uh, through bots and fake news that will be popping up over the next few months? Yeah, well, I think the, there's a couple of important things to clarify. The first is that, you know, the, the moves by Twitter are, are not directed at, um, uh, you know, at, at sort of shadowy Russian operatives uh, running bot farms on, on Twitter. They're directed at the president of the United States. OK, and I think that that's a really important distinction to make here, that uh, people talk a lot about uh, fake news. Uh, and they talk a lot about uh, fake news spreading uh, on social media. But in our work, uh, we have uh, looked at uh, you know, very comprehensively the consumption of America uh, of Americans uh, uh, media um, content uh, across uh, social media, across the web in general, and across television as well. And and what we find is that uh, outright fake news, you know, false information that is, uh, that is deliberately engineered to look like legitimate news is a, actually a tiny, tiny percentage of overall media consumption, less than one-tenth of one percent, and only one percent of regular news consumption. So you know, misinformation and false information, biased and misleading information, I think is a really legitimate and, and serious concern. But I think it's important to understand that the source of that uh, of that uh, false information is overwhelmingly public political figures with large followings, and the subsequent amplification of that information by the mainstream media. It's not. Uh, it is not primarily uh, bots uh, and uh, and sort of shadowy foreign forces operating in the corners of the internet. Those things exist, and they're, they're certainly undesirable, and we should think about ways to stop them. But I don't think that, uh, that those um, uh, sources are the, the, the sort of really even register on the scale uh, of, uh, you know, where misinformation is coming from. And, and that's interesting, Duncan, because so much has obviously been talked about in the last few years about how much of an element, you know, that that shadowy kind of territory was to this whole to this whole operation. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting um, because, the, you know, the people who have been driving that narrative that every, you know, that the problem is, you know, go look at Twitter, go look at Facebook, go look at Google and YouTube. You know, that's where all the problem is. 
that has been the mainstream media that has been driving that narrative. So I think there's sort of a, a bit of a conflict of interest there. Uh, you know, if you look uh, back at the coverage of the 2016 <coughs> election, you know, I don't think you have to look too far to see uh, very plausible explanations for, you know, why the, uh, you know, why Hillary Clinton was such an unpopular candidate. Uh, you know, you can just go read the New York Times, right? Uh, you know, we looked at uh, front page, just to illustrate, we looked at front page articles on the New York Times uh, in the three months leading up to uh, the uh, 2016 presidential election. And one very striking fact that we noticed is that in the eight days before the election, so between when James Coney announced uh, that the FBI was reopening the case on uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, email server, uh, between in, in that eight-day period between then and the election, the New York Times ran as many front-page articles about Hillary Clinton's emails as they did about any of her policies uh, in the entire three months before the election. So yeah. there was overwhelming focus uh, by the mainstream media. You know, all of the brand-name uh, uh, newspapers and and and, uh, uh, and and TV stations that you know you rely on for your sort of uh, you know, trusted information about what's going on in the world, they focused overwhelmingly on what I think we would all regard now as a complete red herring, right? So yeah. the, the false equivalency uh, baked into the media coverage, I think, was a major factor uh, in, you know, public opinion and agenda setting. And no one in the uh, mainstream media has ever acknowledged that role. They've never apologized for it. Instead, right after the election, you see them pivot and say, oh, look, the problem is fake news. It's all about Facebook. It's all about Twitter. So I think there's a real discussion to be had here about, you know, how big of a problem is fake news really compared to all the other sources of bias and misleading content that we're exposed to every day? Well, and let me... why is it that we're talking so much about this one you know, part of the problem that I think is actually a very small part of the problem? Well, can you then d distinguish between the different platforms thinking Twitter versus Facebook versus Instagram and, and, and Snapchat and the, the level of importance they have in terms of this discussion? And, and because a lot of people have talked about Twitter specifically seemingly being more volatile than, than any of the other platforms. Well, so, you know, it, it is actually quite difficult to study these platforms um, because uh, they, um, you know, in some cases, the, the data is not really accessible. Um, you know, Facebook is a little bit of a, of a, of a walled garden. Uh, Twitter is more accessible, but uh, it, it is, you know, difficult to sample things in any kind of representative way. So there's, there's all kinds of technical challenges associated with studying these platforms, and that, that makes them, them hard to compare. But again, I would say if you if you look at what people are, uh, well, there are two things. First of all, I think that uh, platforms like Twitter, in particular, uh, but also Facebook, loom large in the uh, you know in the imagination of uh, journalists and other members of the you know political elite, because we all use it obsessively, right? So if you think about you know every journalist is on Twitter. They're all very active. They read stuff there. They they, they post stuff there. Uh, you know, many people in in my networks are very active on Twitter, and I you know I read it obsessively. And so for those people, it's very easy to think that you know that's what's driving the world, right? 
But if you look at the rest of the world, the vast majority of Americans, they're not on Twitter. They're not paying attention to what's on Twitter. Uh, and when they are on Twitter, they're mostly consuming content from mainstream news outlets. So even, even if you're getting your news on Twitter or you're getting on Facebook, the content that you're getting uh, is very often just the regular old content from, from you know, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, The Guardian, et cetera. So, you know, I think we we sort of have to keep that in mind that, it, you know, your particular, um, you know, consumption pattern is probably not representative of the average American. And second, uh, when people are getting information on social media, the information itself is, is often coming from the very uh, mainstream media sources that are um, that are complaining about the role of social media. Duncan, thanks very much for your time. Have to end it there. Look forward to having you back again. We can uh, talk about this further. Thank you, sir. Great. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Thank you. Duncan Watts, uh, Professor of Operations, Information, and Decisions here at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.